Hello and welcome to the Recovering from Religion podcast. Our mission here is to offer hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. What follows is the audio from selected videos posted on Recovering from Religion's YouTube channel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. You are not alone. All right, everyone, this is Dr. Daryl Ray. He is the founder of Recovering from Religion, and along with the Secular Therapy Project, we founded the uh, Recovering from Religion 10 years ago. And we're on our 11th year in 2020. So everyone, welcome Dr. Daryl Ray. Well, thanks, guys. We're going to be talking about mental health and what we can do to thrive. And I want to emphasize that tonight, what we can do to thrive through this time period. I, mm-hmm. As I've said in some of my previous um, videos and stuff, I think we are in for four months. I, I don't see how we're going to get out of this in anything less than four months. If, if we are, that's great. But I think to begin with, it's really important to set our expectations at, re- at a reasonable level. Because, you know, when Trump gets up and says we're going to open things back up by Easter, you know, he's off in fantasy land like, like he oftentimes is. And I just, I just think that that sets expectations for people to be disappointed. Mm. And it also gives people permission to behave in ways that are actually going to be destructive. And we've, we've seen enough of that with religions organizations sprinkling water over Mexico City and, uh, you know, doing crazy things like going to church when they shouldn't have. Yeah, pastors are encouraging their attendees to congregate. And um, that's exactly what this virus is uses in order to sort of spread. And, um, you know, I'm I'm looking at these uh, news articles on Facebook and and, uh, Twitter, and I, I am thinking to myself, these guys are idiots. They're, it's like anti-science and it's driving me nuts. It's driving me nuts. And I get, I really get worried because not, I'm afraid that it's going to extend the amount of time I have to, to quarantine and my family has to quarantine. And uh, I, I feel the same way. I, uh, last Sunday we went out, I, I rode uh, by myself and went by a church out in the country and this church parking lot was full. And on the Marquise it says, uh, fear the Lord, not the virus. And it's just, I don't know. I think I'm struggling. I, I get back and I become more angry. Uh, then I get, I'm afraid of stuff. And Saturday we went by Lowe's and the Lowe's parking lot, you couldn't find a spot. I didn't go to Lowe's, but I just went by it. And everybody looked like everyone was carrying out their plants for the spring and stuff. And it's like, no one is really taking this seriously. And it, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. It is. It is mind-boggling. But but that's why we're talking today. And mm. we're going to talk again next week about a more specific thing. Uh, I'm titling the next week's talk uh, interaction. It'll be like this, the psychology of religion, because I want to want to talk about next week what what is going on in people's minds that causes this behavior. But we're not going to mm. go there tonight. We're going to look at ourselves. We're going to look at how we're taking care of ourselves. And I, I want to, before we're hitting finished here tonight, uh, Eric and Todd, I want to be able to give everybody some very specific behaviors you can engage in to ensure that you thrive through this uh, coming four months or however. No, that, that would be so helpful, I think. We all need that because I'm like, what do I need to do to get over this anger sometimes? What can I do to cope better? So, yes. 
Well, short of punching somebody in the nose, I'm not sure oh, I've gosh. got all the answers. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no Nazis around where I live to punch uh, punch them in the nose. Well, okay. But, uh, yeah, and um, Todd well, was mentioning anger, and and uh, I, I myself am, am more experiencing some fear, fear and anxiety as well. Okay. Well, I'm looking at the the poll, and thank you for everybody that filled that out already. That it's really interesting. I can everybody see the poll. Uh, yes, everybody can see the poll, yeah. Okay, very good. Okay, well, it's very clear that 78% of the people who did respond, and I don't know who did or how many. Um, everybody that, um, except uh, um, four people, and that one of them is okay. me. And that one's me. <laughs> okay, well, that's all right. I, you don't have to respond, uh, and it is anonymous. I want everybody to know we don't know what answers you, you put right, in there. Right. So 78% are saying anxiety, and, and I want to talk specifically about anxiety tonight, and I'm going to give you some tools for thinking about it and doing something about it. Uh, I also see sleep issues. Sleep issues almost always accompany things like we're experiencing right now. Uh, they don't, we're not, we, we don't have to succumb to this. We can do some things to help, uh, help ourselves sleep better. Uh, difficult posting on normal activities. I want to talk about some of the brain. What's going on in our brains that would make that more difficult? Of course, racing thoughts. Those are um, um, pretty common whenever you're feeling other kinds of things like fear or anxiety that Eric mentioned, fear. Uh, easily crying, spontaneously crying. I, I put that into the list because while it's not common, uh, it, it, not everybody experiences that. It is common enough. And, and what I want to do is I want us to understand that some of our responses, in fact, probably most of our responses to this crisis are normal. And, and I, I'll put quotations around that normal, because when I say it's normal that you would feel like this, it simply means that any normal human being, any person with a fairly typical neuro, neurosystem would probably respond to this environment in one of these ways. They don't have to, and there's ways for us to not respond, but I don't want anybody to feel like because you feel a heightened anxiety or you're easily crying or anything like that, that something is wrong with you because there's probably not anything wrong with you. However, what I want to give you tonight is some tools so that you don't have to be succumbing to what would be a normal response in this particular environment. So uh, I'm sorry, Eric and... Todd, just jump in whenever you've got something to say or want to put in there, because I'll all talk right. all night, as you know. Well, one of the things that I was um, experiencing um, the other day is, uh, you know, I have I've been in um, uh, quarantine since the beginning of March. Like we did this early, we we understood what was going on and uh, did it early, and so we kind of stocked up on groceries. But uh, we eat, we run out of groceries, and we have to leave the house. Uh, and so a few, uh, like earlier this week, I left the house and I went and got some groceries and I'm looking, I've got my mask on, I've got my gloves on. I actually wear long sleeves, long pants, and you know, nothing is going to uh, get me right. But I'm looking around and I see all these other people not wearing masks. I see them just like, um, talking to one another face to face. And, uh, I come home and I get, I am just anxious. I get angry and I get snippy. Um, and it took me several hours to realize that mm -hmm. what I was feeling was more fear. It, this has been the first time in a long time I actually was scared. 
really, really legitimately scared. Um, is this kind of like normal? Is, is that, is it, I mean, it, it seems like a, it was a very basic and primitive response and reaction I felt like it had. Something that was really deep and down to the core. And, and it took place, the, the, the more, majority of it took place after you got back. Yeah, yeah. While I was shopping, I, I was, con I was uh, um, conscious of observing these folks. I felt rational. Okay. I felt I could make, right, right. Um, you know, good decisions. Uh, I, I knew to keep away, uh, six feet away from folks and was watching what they were touching and et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. Um, but it, yeah, so when you, I was safe at home, can, that's when these, these things started to happen. Right, right. Well, let's look back at what's going on around us right now. Every time you tune in to the television, every time you look at the news, you're being told that there's danger out there. And there's a very primitive part of our brain that's responding to that. It's the flight fight. If, if we will, it's probably related to that. And our brains are saying there's danger, danger, danger out there, but I've still got to go get food. You know, it's not, it's not unlike in some ways, if you think about it, you, you go out hunting for your food in the savannas of Africa, knowing that there's danger out there and you barely miss getting eaten by a lion. Well, you probably don't have the response uh, the emotional response in the moment as you're running away from the lying and successfully getting back to your village. But now that you're back, you have a response. Man, I could have been eaten by that lion. I actually talked about that uh, in my uh, video that I think you put a link up earlier, and that is the car wreck accident. If you have the car wreck, at the moment, you don't have nearly the emotional response that you have later to the accident. And so really what you're having and what you're experiencing, Eric, and this is really important in understanding cognitive, our cognitive psychology. You went home and started thinking about it. And once you started thinking, you started thinking, look at all those assholes out there who are spreading the virus and they're going to get other people killed and they might get me killed. Yes. So you, start, you start running through your head all these scenarios and it's, you're not really responding to them because you're at home and safe apparently, I mean, you haven't got the virus yet. And, and yet your brain is saying you're still in danger because your brain is running through all these scenarios. That is a very, very normal response to an environment where there's lots of fear and potential for danger. So in some ways, thank your brain because your brain's doing its job. <laughs> yeah. well, and that's okay. But no, we don't want we don't want to continue to have this anxiety bug you and, and haunt you. So we're gonna talk about how to get over that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, Todd, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm the type of guy that thinks he's in control. I, I I'm a retired firefighter. When bad stuff happens, people called me. I'd come and, and mitigate things, you know, and make try to make things better. I feel like I'm at a loss that I'm out of control, that I, ha I have no control of what's going on. I can control my own environment, but once, like Eric said, you get out and go get groceries or, or when you have to go out, um, you just feel like you're out of control. So I, I would like you to, to kind of address some of those things too. What can we do about those? Okay. Yeah, so okay. like what's going on in our brain? Like, uh, mm. this, this, like I, think, I think you're absolutely right. And I'm really glad you said something about how, primitive this kind of reaction is well it's it's not it's not something you can really avoid up front because let me let me back up and kind of address what you're asking todd in a um by not a, by not addressing it directly 
imagine that you were picked up from Arkansas, where I think you're, you are right now, and dropped in the middle of the Amazonian forest. Your brain would go on heightened alert. You would feel totally out of control. You would be watching everything, questioning everything, observing everything. You would be on a very different level of mental processing than you are normally uh, sitting in Fort Smith, Arkansas. That's kind of what's happening right now. We as an entire planet, this is not just Arkansas, it's not just the United States, it's the entire planet has been picked up and put down in a whole new unfamiliar place. So there's no surprise that we are encountering new emotional responses and we feel like we're out of control. Because the facts are, and let's be really rational and honest about this, we are out of control. However, we as a planet are out of control, or we as a country are out of control, but we can also put this in perspective, and I like which, um, what our volunteer coordinator, Shanna, put on her Facebook page recently. We don't have bombs blowing our houses up right now. We're not in the blitz in 1941 uh, or 1940-41 in, in England. So there's that. <laughs> we are out of control, but we're still not in a position where death is imminent uh, to wide numbers of people and, and sure. that sort of thing. So yeah. it, putting a little bit in perspective is important. Second thing, if you're, if you're a person who typically, as your part of your personality, likes to be in control, you've got an expectation of how to go about doing that, and that expectation isn't working right now. So you're going to be you're going to be doing what you would do in the middle of that Amazon Amazon forest. Your brain is trying to learn as fast as it can. Your brain right now is searching, 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 looking around the environment and trying to figure out what works. What do I need to do? How do I protect my family? How do I protect myself? How do I protect my property? I mean, all these things are going through your head but it's your brain trying to learn. And if you put it in that perspective, I think that's uh, one way to look at what you're experiencing, Eric. Your brain's trying to learn how to live in the new world, in the new Amazonian forest, so to speak. And if you, if you take it from that angle, I think it, it ratchets down the anxiety just a little bit. I wanna talk about that in a minute, but let me just bounce that off of you. What's that sound like to you? Well, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense. I, I like the analogy of you're putting us, picking us up and putting us in, in a completely strange environment, and we're trying to cope and figure things out. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me personally. So so the part of the part of the task here is giving ourselves permission to understand that we're in this boat and we do have we do have some things that we can do. And uh, one of the things we can do, and I'm going to start off right now by giving us all a little definition that you can take take home and think about this. I'd like you to write this down if you're listening. I want to give you the definition for anxiety. This is the definition for anxiety, and that'll help us plug back into what we can do about it. Anxiety is free-floating fear not based in reality. Free-floating free, fear. Not based in reality. So if you, if you think about it, Eric went out, got his shopping, came back. That's when the anxiety hit Eric. He was not, though, in immediate danger of being eaten by a lion. But her, his brain started acting like that. Right. The, so we have to ask Eric or, or you, if, if you're listening to this, 
is there an imminent immediate danger? If there's not, then it's free floating. It was free floating in the sense that Eric's thinking about all the things that could have happened, but they didn't happen. That's, that's the problem with anxiety is it doesn't tie back to something specific. If there's a lion out there ready to eat me, there's something very specific I can do. I can fight the lion with the weapon or I can run away. I can do something. Right. But Eric doesn't know how, how do I do something about a bunch of people out there that aren't paying attention to the health, you know, health rules that we're under, that sort of thing. Yeah. So many times our, our minds run wild and, and they exaggerate a lot of times the danger too. And then that builds the, the anxiety in, in us. Right, right. And, and that's why I think this definition is so important because next time you're feeling some emotion, it's, it's a good exercise and we can actually teach this how do you start figuring out is this what's the reality basis for my current fear well did eric do everything in his power to mitigate the danger he he was careful who when he went out he put a mask on he stayed six feet away he didn't get out any longer than he had to he probably used hand sanitizer if he touched a doorknob i mean there's probably a lot of things that eric did yeah that's exactly right yeah so what you did, Eric, was you created the safest environment you possibly could, and that is the reality. You, that's what we can say is real. The scenarios that you then went ahead and put in your head, those are not real. Those are your fantasies. Now, I'm not, I'm not putting that down. I'm not making light of it. We do this all the time, but I think recognizing, becoming mindful, and I use that term intentionally, becoming mindful of what is reality-based and what is not reality-based is important to maintaining mental balance and control. Now, back to your question, Todd, does that answer a little bit about what your your concern was? Yeah, that, that makes uh, so much more sense now um, when I look at it in that perspective. Um, sometimes you just need, I need to just take a deep breath and, and think it out out loud. Um, right. Exactly. And, and that deep breathing, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, deep breathing is a really important skill. Uh, if you're mindful about your breathing and you do it whenever you do feel the anxiety, you will gain much more control. I mean, part of the reason, uh, Todd, I'm guessing part of the reason you're out biking is because you want to you get your brain and your mind focused on exercise. Yeah, it's a way to reset for me. Absolutely. When you go outside and you see the sunlight and you start breathing heavily from the exercise and you get fresh air, all those things help reset your mind. They help refocus your mind. In fact, what we know from a lot of research, we, we know that you, our, our brains uh, can, be, can be recalibrated, if you will, through exercise. And the, the um, hormones that are released by a good hard exercise are anti-stress hormones, mm -hmm. anti-anxiety hormones. The, the research shows, for example, in depression, if somebody has a tendency toward depression, exercise has been shown over and over again in a wide number of studies that exercise is as good as medicine for, for helping recalibrate your brain, get, uh, reducing reducing um, uh, depression uh, and anxiety and things like that. Now, I'm not saying don't take your meds. Uh, don't, um, don't hear me saying that. 
go, you know, do whatever your doctor says. But if you add, add exercise to meds, research shows that really helps a lot. I, so think right everyone, now, I think everyone can actually, that it goes out and exercises, can really experience it. It's something real that you can experience. You know, you come back and you're cooling off and you just have this great feeling inside you that you, it's just like a big reboot. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk here a few more minutes, and then we're going to open this up. I see some great questions on the right. I'm tempted to jump in and ask them, but I'm, <laughs> we're not going to do that yet. <laughs> I've got them all over here in a document. Uh, okay, very good, very good. So uh, I want to talk about a few other things, uh, one of which we got the definition of anxiety. Now, we, we talked about exercise and what it does to your, to your mind. Now, backing up uh, real quick on that definition, um, uh, free f floating fear not based in reality. One of the questions was, is it um, anxiety when you're when, not when you're necessarily thinking about what could happen, like what all the possibilities could happen, but instead thinking about what probably will happen? Um, and and my my sense from what you're saying is it's more of the reaction that you have. Like I could think about how to prepare for what would probably happen and not have a fear reaction to it. Um, Very good. Yeah. Very good. Yep. That's a good way to look at it. You are, you, if you have, if you're th sitting there thinking, okay, I need to plan my finances out for the next three months or four months. You're anticipating, you're planning, you're, you're projecting out that, that does not automatically create a fear response. It does not bring anxiety in. What brings anxiety in is when you start awfulizing or saying, what's the worst thing that could happen? And that's oftentimes what people start doing. I, I, I probably, if I really work hard, I can make my finances last for the next four months. But I, it means I'm going to have to do this, 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 this. And after about five things, your brain starts saying, oh, well, but now I won't be able to uh, you know, afford my Netflix or I won't be able to you know, get my medicines or something. You start awfulizing. Awfulizing? It, yeah, the awful, awful, being awful. Awful. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that before. <laughs> well, it, awful, is that, is that a, imagining the worst thing that could happen? Yes, exactly. Okay. There's, there's a number of different ways to characterize it. I call it awfulizing or what's the most horrible thing that could happen. But you start going over the line. You stop anticipating and yeah. start start creating fantasy worlds of the worst, the worst kind of fantasy world. And that's, that's what I was talking about a little bit earlier. And you're, what you're asking, Eric, I think it was Eric, is what if I'm just planning out? Yeah. So I want to, I want to discriminate between planning out rationally and being honest about how long my finances can last versus then going over the deep end and saying, Oh, but this horrible, horrible thing's going to happen. And, and, you know, you start making up an entire novel in your brain about all the horrible things that are going to happen. So you're, what you're kind of suggesting is like plan for the probable, not everything possible. Yeah. I mean, anything, anything could happen. I mean, there was, I grew up, I grew up in the 1950s when we had to get under our chairs to avoid nuclear bombs as if that was going to help anything. <laughs> <laughs> I I literally remember getting you know the alarm going off and we had to do the drill and I'm living in Kansas. We are a hell of a lot more likely to be nailed by a tornado than by a nuclear bomb. But we did we did nuclear bomb uh drills more than we did 
tornado drills, practically. So that's almost an example of an entire society uh, not preparing, but fantasizing, going way over. Uh, no, no kid getting under a desk is going to be saved from a bomb. Awfulizing. The entire culture was awfulizing at that point. Awfulizing. So, yeah. So I'm just, I'm just trying to illustrate that you can plan rationally we can think things through and one way to do that is to write things down don't mm -hmm. let your mind go crazy by just going on and on and on if you stop you say okay i'm feeling a lot of anxiety today let me write down what am i doing today to manage and control my world to plan for my future to manage my finances get a piece of paper get a get a tablet and start writing down what actions you're taking starting today and then check them off. If you're a list maker, this will really reduce your yeah. anxiety. If you're, if you're not a list maker, it may not be as, it, it'll still be effective, but list makers love that stuff. <laughs> I love it. I use Evernote to make my lists and um, uh, they have like this little checkbox feature or a cross out feature. And, and that really, really helps kind of, uh, calm me down and and sort out my brain when I can make that list, um, whether it's a to-do list or what am I really concerned about? What what can I really control right now? Right, right. Here's one thing you can control, and that is stop looking at the news. Stop uh, looking at the internet. Stop reading all this stuff because you are in control of how much you look at that. Nobody is making you watch the news. Nobody's making you look at the internet and check check the statistics or anything like that. You are in control of that. So my, my strong suggestion is take control of, you, of the, your input, of the stimulus coming in from the internet, especially, and from the news media. Uh, and be very, be very careful what news media you look at. Try to only look at, there's tons of shit out there. <laughs> and it's it, it's just going to make you more upset. I mean, there's all sorts of conspiracy theorists and all that. But so take control of of how you view the world, rather than just letting it happen to you. Yeah, that's, that's, you're you're kind of on to something because I've started to on on Facebook. That's that's the main place that I I go to for uh, you know to get catch up with friends and people post news articles. And when I see someone consistently posting conspiracy theories or um, stuff that is, is has been thoroughly debunked, uh, especially right now, I've began to just unfollow them because uh, and I may go back and, and follow them once this is all over again. But uh, it's a way for me to curate and um, uh, curate what I see and also keep some of my own ment mental health I, or like my brain straight a little bit. Uh, Absolutely. You know, I had to do that to family members, but it was necessary. I felt for me to do it. Uh, right, right. Well, this falls. This falls right along with the question that we got from Joe. She um, writes that my wife listens to so many TV shows and it seems to be quite upset and anxious. How best to talk to our closest and dearest ones? But when we can eliminate it, but what if our spouse is involved in watching these shows and stuff? How can we encourage them? Well, I think a, a, it's a good thing to sit down and have a conversation with whoever these your partner is, whoever the other people in your house, because it could be more than one. And we yeah. could talk about how much how much control should we take over our own input, 
add how we're going to limit that and we're going to regulate it. It's not like you're saying you can't watch the TV or you can't watch the news, you can't get on the internet, but you are responsible for your emotional and mental health. And if it's upsetting you, then that's, if it's causing a problem, then it is a problem. If it causes a problem, it is a problem. So Joe, your, your wife or your partner, whoever, whoever is listening to this, you are being, you are, you can see that their emotional upset is affecting you. So you can take a very caring approach and say, look, if you, when you watch TV and get upset and then you come and talk to me about it, it upsets me too. I don't want to be upset all the time. I want to be in control of my emotional response to the world. So you can suggest that either they not watch the TV or they not talk to you about it or they turn the TV on in a room where you can't hear it. I mean, there's ways to negotiate this stuff. You mm-hmm. cannot control your partner, but you can express to them how their behavior is impacting you. And most c- people who are, care about the relationship are probably going to modify the behavior in some way. I, t- I'm telling you, I do not turn the TV on period because you don't know what's going to come at you unexpectedly and you have no control. The internet is a little more friendly in the sense that I control where I click that button. Okay. I'm in control of that. that makes However, sense. I can still get sucked in and I'm not saying here, I've got the answer to everything. Well, I've got the answer to 99% of all the problems in the world, <laughs> except the pandemic. <laughs> I, I get sucked in just as much as anybody else. So I'm not saying I'm perfect. I have to stop and say, wait a minute. I just spent 15 minutes reading something I didn't need to read. And now I feel upset about it. Whose problem is that? Who caused that problem? I can't blame my spouse, my partner. I can't blame my parents or my children. I have to take some responsibility here. So I think it's a talk about how much are we responsible and how much control are we going to take? Now, there's there's interesting concept here. Uh, and I think this is a, an important concept to think about. And that's the tools I'm, I'm talking to you today about are tools that are conceptual. And conceptual tools are as important as a hammer and a nail. They, they give us ways to control and, and direct our attention. And that's what we're talking about right now. How do we control and direct our attention? Who is responsible for that? Uh, and I want to. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because uh, when, when, when I was finally safe home and I was experiencing this fear, I was, my intention uh, was focused purely on uh, the anxiety and, and, the, and, the, and the, what could have been happening and, and stuff like that. Okay. All right. Yeah, right. Now, the next thing is to think about mindfulness. And mindfulness is an entire study, an entire skill set. But I want to introduce, if you have not heard of mindfulness, there are some great websites out there. There's some books. There's some act- activities you can do. But I want to give you a, an exposure to what mindfulness is. And once you've learned the skill of mindfulness, you become more capable of focusing your attention where you want your attention. I'm going very slow right now. Did you notice that? You probably noticed the change in my tone of voice. Now, I want you to breathe very deeply. Everybody, just take a real deep breath. I want you to hold that breath for about five seconds. And now exhale the breath. Take another very deep breath. 
Exhale the breath. Now I want you to take a very deep breath, and as you take that deep breath, check in with your left big toe. Feel your left big toe. You slowly exhale. That is a very basic mindfulness exercise. If you went through the three deep breaths and you checked in with your left big toe, I'm guessing your brain wasn't thinking about anything else, except that Daryl's an idiot. You know, why is he asking me to do this? That's possible. But did you notice your attention shift to another place in your body? that your body probably relaxed as a result of the three deep breaths. I don't know, Eric, and you and Todd, yeah, I don't know if you did it or not. You're absolutely right. Um, uh, when I was intentionally trying to focus on some certain things, there wasn't necessarily room. Um, I don't, they're like the, the, the other thoughts just were pushed into the back and um, I forgot about them momentarily. I, I could say that I forgot about them momentarily. <laughs> Well, and you you did you did I mean forgot maybe not the term I don't know but you redirect forgetting's not really what we're after we're we're more after I think redirect, I think maybe, redirecting yeah, redirecting is what I'm talking those about. Other thoughts went dark. They went. They yeah, went yeah dark. right, right. No, I'm not saying you didn't forget. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm mis I'm mischaracterizing what we're talking about here. Our goal is not to forget, although you might well forget. That'd be great. Right, right. But our goal is simply to redirect our attention and take control of where our attention goes. So at least, and I'm going to make this a suggestion, before we're finished here, we're going to list out several things that you can go home and start doing right now, or be home and start doing right now. And the first one is take three deep breaths and focus on another part of your body. Focus. The big you know, focus. Do that every day. You might need to sit down and do it three times a day somewhere. If you really want to get into this, then look at mindfulness exercises or meditation exercises. One book I, I learned about in 1972, I'm, I'm older than I look actually, and that was uh, a, a book um, called The Relaxation Response. It's, very, it's one of the older scientifically oriented meditation books. I have literally used the technique he teaches in that book since 1972. It's an amazing little book and it's only hundred pages long if it's that long. And you can learn the skill from that, but you don't have to read that book. You can, there's dozens, Sam Harris has got a really good app and he's making it free right now. So you can get on the Sam Harris website and download the app and you can learn great meditation, good mindfulness exercises for free. So there's no need for us to continue, you know, torturing ourselves with, with anxiety we can take some control of this and that's why we're talking here tonight now when you know one of the, the the things that would pop into my head when i used to hear the word meditation would be some of that woo uh woo, woo crap and trying to reach nirvana or some something like that but this is not what you're referring to at all at all right this is not a, a spiritual experience or anything like that this is mostly a, like a very chemical thing that we're controlling. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Uh, what we learned from the, from the relaxation response is that the relaxation response is really the opposite of the flight-fight response. You have a flight-fight response when you, you experience imminent danger, the lion in the savanna. That's flight-fight response. However, what, 
what um, I'm forgetting his name, the author of I'll think of it probably the author of the of the book and the researcher that wrote the book, the relaxation response says our bodies also have the opposite response. Our bodies can automatically respond to relaxation, and it really only takes three deep breaths to start the response, the relaxation response. <clears throat> now you may need to practice this more than you you, you do need to practice this. So I'm I'm not letting you off the hook. Every time you practice it, you get a little bit better and a little bit better. And what you're doing is you're practicing teaching your body and your brain to relax on command. Relax when you want to be relaxed. Now think about this. You've heard stories of people who are, who were in who seem to always be cool, calm, and collected, even in the most uh, heinous conditions where the danger was all around them, and yet they could stay focused, they could stay relaxed. I mean, think about uh, if you're into gaming, some of you I know are probably really into gaming. Think about the best gamers out there, and they are the top, the top. If you watch them, if you took their heart rate, if you took their brainwaves, you'd probably see somebody that is ultra-focused and relaxed. And what we know about athletes oftentimes is athletes are oftentimes very relaxed when they're doing their best. It almost is, it's paradoxical. How can you be relaxed and be high performance? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a tension there. There's, they're not asleep, obviously, but they're not wasting energy on the tension and anxiety. I might lose. I might not win this race. They're not wasting energy on that. They're, they're relaxed. They're focused. Their muscles are ready to do what they need them to do. That's kind of what we're we're talking about here. One one of the things that I, I have to be honest with when when you use the word meditation, it's kind of triggering. It can be triggering because growing up in a religious background, we were always taught that meditation was opening yourself up to the devil or of something evil, and you know, and 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 so when you when you brought it up right away, that was the first thing that popped into my mind. I was like, wait. Why, why do you still hang on to that? That's I don't believe in uh, a devil. But it's that residual um, things of religion still lingering in the background of my mind. So, but yeah. but, but the, 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 just just a short little thing that you did, I, I could tell a difference. No, so well, I you can you can move around it simply by saying I'm going to do the three minute three breaths relaxation mm -hmm. exercise mm -hmm. don't call it mm -hmm. don't call it anything but relaxation that yeah. that'll work yeah. yeah uh so the other thing is you can you can uh oh i had one more thing i wanted to get in here but um oh yeah there's, there's another thing i want to emphasize and that is it kind of came up on our on our survey and that is eating in this context where you're at home a lot you're your feelings of anxiety and stuff. Sometimes we start eating our anxiety and that means you eat differently. You may eat a lot more or you may eat a lot less. I would suggest you use a simple technique. This is a, it's actually so darn simple. It's ridiculous. And that is you are probably going to be tempted to overeat. I mean, if, if you probably 80% of the people are overeating and 20% are under eating. Uh, if, if they're, you know, deviating from this. So for the overeaters, for the people who are eating more than they want to or more than they normally do, I would suggest 
a little mindfulness exercise that helps you pay attention to what you're doing and, and gives you more control. It's this simple. When, when you see yourself getting ready to do, my brother calls it recreational eating. <laughs> I think that's a good way to put it. Recreational eating. When you get the tortilla chips out, you want to eat the whole bag, you know, or the Oreo cookies, you're going to eat the whole box of Oreo cookies. I have been trained my whole life for that. Yes. <laughs> I'm an athlete at eating the bag of tortilla chips. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you, it's up to you if you eat them or not, but I want you to think about it before you do it. And willpower is actually a very difficult thing to exercise. In fact, there's actually research that around what we would call willpower that kind of makes it shows it's a little more difficult to just will yourself into something. So here's the deal. Train yourself to do a simple exercise, and that is the minute you want to go snack or eat something outside of a regular meal, go get a glass of water and drink the entire glass of water and then eat your snack if you cho still choose to eat your snack. Huh. Eat, eat the tortilla chips or, you know, the popcorn, whatever you're going to do, but don't do it until you've drank the whole glass of water. Now, it does, it does a few things. First of all, you have to think. You have to take control of your behavior to go get the water. Then you have to drink the water. When you drink the water, it fills your stomach up. When it fills your stomach up, it makes you less likely to eat, overeat. And even if you do eat, you're not going to eat as much. So there's, it's a very simple technique but you can train yourself to do this. I guarantee you, you will not gain weight or you will lose weight if you want to lose it because you're, you're focusing on what's important, your nutrition, and you're not focusing on recreational eating or anxiety eating. Um, and that kind so of goes back to the, the mindfulness you were uh, mentioning earlier too, right? Being mindful about drinking your glass, a glass of water before you uh, eat. Right. Right, and nobody overdoses on water. <laughs> you're not going to overdose on water. Except those so who drowned. Well, yeah, they did overdose, I guess. <laughs> All right, well, we have, we have covered the main things that I wanted to cover. Uh, I will say one other thing. If you're inside, you're probably not getting as much sunlight as you need, and you may not be getting as much vitamin D. So I would suggest you, you consider eating, drink, <laughs> eating, drinking, taking a vitamin D supplement. I am not a nutritionist, I'm not a medical doctor, but I will say that if you're not getting enough vitamin D, there's lots of evidence that vitamin D is very important to your immune system. So if you're getting enough vitamin D just by being out in the sunlight and not getting sun cancer, cancer in the sunlight, that's another problem, that's, you're probably okay. But if you're inside a lot, you need to supplement that. I mean, we know that vitamin D is essential for our health and well-being, and we also know that it's really important to your uh, immune system. All right, so let's open it up for a discussion. But before we do that, I think... Uh, yeah, before we do that, we're going to bring on... Yeah, I'm going to say something. Yeah, before we do that, we're going to um, do a poll, kind of an exit poll, to uh, um, uh, what are some of the things that you're uh, going to... Let's see, where are my polls? Here they are. Um, what are some of the things that you're going to do, uh, commit to, to get out of your mind? Um, and then while you're kind of taking a look at that, we're going to bring in our... Executive Director Gail Jordan, and uh, as long as I can get her to unmute, yep, she's there. She is, and she's got some announcements um, uh, before we move on to questions and answers. Hey, Gail, welcome. 
Thank you. Everybody, it's so good to see all of you. I'm delighted that you have joined us. Uh, I, will ha I will make a confession to all of you. These sessions that we have uh, developed and have begun to have have helped us. <laughs> Those of us who are involved in the planning of it and the pulling it together and talking about what Dr. Ray is going to talk about, we've, we've gotten such a benefit from it. I hope that this is a recorded session. I don't know where we'll post it. I hope that you'll reflect on it. And if you need to watch it again because you missed a little something, uh, that will be available to you. At the end of the session, we'll talk a little bit more about the next time and what we're going to do. But I wanted to just thank you again for attending. I wanted to tell you what's going on at RFR. I don't know uh, if you've kind of been aware that we are... Um, Recovering from Religion has always tried to answer the question, how can we help when people are struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief? And this unique time, this era in the history of our country and our world has given us the opportunity to reach out in different ways. And so this is one of the ways we're reaching out. And I'm delighted that you have chosen to join us this evening. I hope that you'll join us again. If you feel like uh, you would like to, we always are looking for volunteers. We're looking for volunteers to help us uh, field the phone calls and the chats that all of us started with who are in here. I'd like to, while I'm chatting, I'd like to have our volunteers who are in the room tonight, the Zoom room, uh, identify themselves in the chat. If you don't mind uh, telling us your name, maybe if, you're, if you'd like to, you can tell us uh, where you are located, where you're distancing, where you're isolating, and what you do at RFR. And so you can just let that roll as I continue to talk. Um, as I said, our volunteer process is relatively straightforward. It's the volunteer tab on the recoveringfromreligion.org website. There is a form to fill out. There's an interview. Um, it's you know, it's a process to get in there. But if you find yourself at home and you're frustrated, sometimes it's helpful if you... Um, Stop turning so inward and start turning outward. If you reach out a hand to, to help someone else, sometimes that makes us feel better. We didn't cover that tonight. Um, Daryl, we, we talked a little bit about, Dr. Ray talked a little bit about um, doing some things that are productive for your community, the picking up the trash. We just had that as one of our options in the poll. If, if, you, if, you, um, if you're feeling overwhelmed, sometimes if you turn that inside out, it makes you feel a little bit better. So if you're, if you're interested in that, please know that you can do that. You can also donate. Recovering from Religion is a 100% volunteer organization, so you can be assured that every single donor dollar goes to our programs, goes to our development. Nobody from Daryl to me to our newest trained volunteer gets any money out of it. It's we do it because of the passion that we feel, because of the concern that we feel for other folks. Almost all of us have been through a similar experience in leaving religion. Not everyone, but a lot of us have, and that's why uh, that's why we uh, do what we do here at Recovering from Religion. So I, I just wanted to say thank you all for coming. I want you to check the chat and see who is in the group, who is uh, volunteering. And if you would like to, if you're interested in either volunteering or donating, recoveringfromreligion.org, and you can click on the on either of those options. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Gail. All right, we have our poll, and I'm going to share the results with you all. Um, now, this is the question and answer section, and so we have got some great questions. A couple of them we were able to get answered during the talk, but uh, there's a few more. Um, so, Dr. Ray, uh, Joe asks, how would you advise people who are afraid that they will go back to religion in this present COVID-19 situation? What can we do to mitigate our responses? 
Okay, Joe, you are one week ahead of me. Actually, <laughs> I am. That, I am actually going to talk about that very thing next week. That's going to be a, one of the more interesting aspects of of my talk. So I'll have to give you the short answer here, and then you get the long answer next week. So I hope you come back. There's a real danger that people will do that. There's a temptation is there. The security is there. The answers, all the answers are, of course, in religion. They all have all the answers. So I don't, I don't, you have no control over another person, but you do have control over yourself. And I would say that one of the things you can do is reach out and communicate with other people who have gone through the same journey. And they're going to help you stay stable and focused on where you need to focus for your life. We all know that religion fucked us up in one way or another. And we really don't want to go back to that. But the temptation is always there. It's like, you know, it was so sweet, so comforting. Everybody loved me. Well, you look at it now and from the outside, you realize they only love you if you believe exactly what they believe. And they'll treat you like pretty badly if, if you... Uh, should stray from whatever that dogma is in that particular religion. So I would say the number one recommendation is get a buddy, <laughs> get somebody. And we've got hundreds of them here at Recovering from Religion. Yeah. I, I think Eric, I mean, uh, Todd said we have over 800, almost 900 people just in the community. Well, that's a lot of people to talk to. And then if you need to talk one-on-one -on -one to somebody, you can call the chat line. You can, you can even call, uh, you know, other atheist or secular friends and talk about your struggles. So I want to go back before I move on to other questions. Gail was right. I really screwed up. I, I almost right at the top of my list here. I'm looking, I forgot. I want to talk about getting out of your mind and you even used it. Why did we put that in the, in the uh, poll? It's because Daryl should have talked about it. So my, my, my bad. When you focus on something besides your own self, I call that getting out of your mind. So if you support somebody else, if you talk to somebody in a time of crisis, if you go out and clean the trash out of your, out of your ditch, if you hug your child and rock them to sleep or read a book to them, it doesn't matter. Whatever those activities are, that's what I call getting out of your mind. And that helps more than almost anything else. It keeps you focused on what you can do in the here and now to help other people. And it really, it, it really builds your empathy. It builds your, it builds your empathy muscles, if you will. Trying to understand where somebody else is and help them where they are. Our, we, our volunteers are, are wonderful at that. We have the most empathic volunteers. They really do a great job. And they're exercising that empathy muscle every day when they answer a chat. And it is a muscle because the be more you do it, the better you get. And the, so, Get out of your mind. That's what I'm I'm recommending, and and focus on somebody else. Okay, now on to uh, on to questions, Eric. Or Let's go. The next the next question is from Sapphire, and she has a great question. How does one deal with loneliness in this time of isolation, especially when you're just coming out of religion and you're in the middle of building your new community? You know, Sapphire, that's a tough one. I've seen that. I've seen a lot of people asking that question right now, especially single people or people who live alone. They don't have a partner. There's nobody in the same apartment or house as they are. So it's not an easy question to ask or answer. I would say be sure you reach out and create connections with people by phone, by, by the ways that you can connect with people. We can connect 
as we're doing right now on Zoom. Or you can pick up the phone and call somebody and, and say, I'm, we're going to schedule once a day phone call. And then use that to reconnect with another human being or two. Now, I want to caution you when you do that, though. You're building a relationship. You're sharing values. You're sharing ideas. Be careful not to, to spiral down into poor pitiful me or spiral down into thinking about how terrible things are. It's okay to talk about the current situation. I'm not saying that. But it's real easy to become, a, uh, as what's Gail call herself, a Debbie Downer. It's real easy to get into a Debbie Downer. And Gail's the last person who's a Debbie Downer, by the way. She calls herself that, but she is not. Um, I call her on that occasion. <laughs> so you want to create a relationship that's mutually supportive with somebody. I think that's an important component. Another thing is to, you know, go back and think about religion did help. Religion did bring comfort to people. Religion did support us in some ways. If it hadn't been for the dogma that got in the way, there's lots of things that people did for us. I, I'll tell you this. This, this is, this is my own experience. It just happened three days ago. My next door neighbor lives down a couple. I don't, I don't see her very often. I almost never talk to her because, you know, we're, we, she's got grandkids and going her way and I've got grandkids. I'm going my way. She called me up three days ago and all she did was say, Daryl, how you doing? All right. How you doing through this? And she's a pretty fundamentalist Baptist. I've known her for years. I, I love her. She's a great person. Despite her religion, <laughs> she's a great person. But calling me up and simply asking, how you doing? And we had like an hour conversation. We got a lot of, you know, we got grandkids to talk about and stuff. That was, to me, uh, and this is, this is just me, that was one of the most caring things anybody has done for me in this entire month, last month. And I, I reflected kind of like you did, Eric, after you got back from the grocery store. It kind of hit me afterwards. I reflected on that for a couple of days thinking oh. that was, it was the opposite. I mean, I wasn't being awfulizing. <laughs> and this I, is such a, such a simple thing to reach out yeah, and, and yeah. what a big effect it had on you. It, it, that's, yeah. my, that's my point. And so my brain went off, but it went off in the positive direction rather than the negative direction. And I've thought about that for day, two or three days afterwards, how, how kind that was of Vicky to, to do that. So there, get out of your mind, interact with somebody else, call somebody up who needs support and uh, be, be, something more, be something more than yourself. What, and I, I'm not just plugging Recover from Religion, but I'll say that when people volunteer for Recover from Religion or some other way, to help somebody else, it gets you out of your own mind. Yeah, and it's very. It can be very therapeutic. Yeah, I know. I'll, I'll piggyback on that. Um, I've been a volunteering for five years now or so, and um, I've gotten way more out of it than I ever put into it. And, and especially now, in this last month, I've been able to dedicate more time to um, giving uh, and, and uh, working with folks, and I'm getting so excited and and. The, the anxiety, it, it's almost, it, I have something to look forward to. Uh, and, and that, that uh, anxiety sort of gets pushed in the back. It sort of gets darkened a little bit where I, I don't, it's no longer visible. But um, we've got a, a question from Erin. Um, and she uh, heard you say that you, at the very beginning, that you thought this was going to last about four months. So why, why do you think this is going to last four months? And kind of like, 
are, are you expecting us to be quarantined or self-isolated or socially distanced for four months? What, uh, how are you seeing this and, and why? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it's actually an important question. I'll, I'll say that. I, I, I don't, I didn't say that lightly. I am a, I'm a, I'm a psychologist, but a part of my psychological training was statistics. I'm pretty damn good at, at statistical analysis. I mean, I did a whole doctoral program that basically was nothing but statistics. So when I look at the statistics that I'm seeing on, um, on the WHO, uh, World Health Organization, and I see the, the, the uh, trajectory of, of infection, and then when, the, when you, we flatten the curve, hopefully we flatten the curve, and it comes back down, how long does that take? And it uh, looks to me, I mean, China has not opened up. Uh, as much as it and nowhere near what it was before, and China's still kind of concerned about a um, a relapse, if you will. Uh, you know, you don't want to let off let off the pedal and then have the whole thing come back again, because then you're gonna have to lock down again. Right. It's it's really important. I'm not an epidemiologist, but I I have a lot of friends in the medical community, a lot, um, and my own daughter is a pharmacologist, doctorate level pharmacologist in a hospital in Joplin, Missouri. She and I talk almost every day. If I have a question, she can probably answer it or tell me where to, where to find the information. So I'm not an expert, but I pay attention to the experts. And all the experts are saying, here's the deal. If we don't lock down like Italy did, we don't lock down like China did, we don't lock down like Hong Kong, Singapore, and Taiwan did, there's there's at least five countries that have had to go to pretty strong lockdown. Then we are going to see a continuation of the infection. Maybe not at the, at the high rate that we're seeing right now, but it's going to be there. I mean, if, for example, I just read today that Texas has checkpoints between itself and Louisiana. Hmm. Why is that? <laughs> because Louisiana is, and Louisiana is on lockdown. And the, re- the reason Louisiana is in such bad shape, I mean, the, the statistics are saying Louisiana is the next hotspot. You got New, New, New York and you got New Jersey. I mean, uh, yeah, New Jersey. And probably the third one behind that is Louisiana. Well, the, the first place we saw the outbreak was in Washington. And they are not seeing, they locked down real early. Louisiana let Mardi Gras go ahead and Louisiana did not lock down in time. So now you got states saying, no, you can't come into our state because you've got it. And Texas itself hasn't done a very good job of locking down. So all I'm saying is we could every, do everything perfectly in, where I live in Kansas City. Kansas could do everything perfectly. But Missouri is just now deciding they're going to lock down. So how, how do you control something when half the country is not doing what it needs to do to control it? We've still got six states in the United States that are not doing significant amounts of, of uh, control, of legal control over this thing. Right. So it's, it, you can't let, it, it, it's a national thing. All of China locked down. I mean, all of China was involved, only Wuhan was locked down. But that's why I'm saying four months. It's not because we couldn't do it in two months. I think we probably could do it in two or three months. But the, the trajectory right now isn't looking like that. We think we're going to, at this point in time, statistically, it looks like New York, uh, New Jersey are probably going to peak out in the next week or so. 
and then they'll start coming down, hopefully. But the rest of us are still on this side, and it's already a month in. So, I, so that's my answer to, to the question. Got it. Well, we're just about out of time, and uh, we've got one final question. Um, Todd, do you want to take it? Sure. So Joe's saying that she's starting to feel comfortable with this isolation thing, and she's worried that she might be coming complacent. You think that's possible, or is it a good thing, or what? what what's your thoughts on that? It's starting to feel normal. <laughs> uh, Joe, I, I think what we're going to this, – this is an interesting experiment. Uh, I think this is an op option op – uh, an opportunity for us to really learn about ourselves. I am a, I'm what we call in psychology an ambivert. I'm not an extrovert and I'm not an introvert. I'm an ambivert. Some people call me a pervert, but that's something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm in the I middle. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> so what I think we're gonna do, we're exploring right now our introverted selves. We probably, if you're an extrovert, you were out there exploring your extroverted self for the last 30 years of your life. But this is an opportunity to really know who you are as an introvert. I'm really not worried that you're going to get complacent. But I will say this. I'll bet, I'll bet, Joe, that you're learning new priorities and you're thinking about what is really important in life. I'll tell you what's really important in my life. I, and I'm, uh, I'm actually enjoying it a lot because I've, I realized I'm not read. I have not read as much as I wanted to in the last few years. So I'm gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm in my library like I've been going to this library behind me and picking off books I haven't read in thirty years That's and rereading awesome. them. And I'm having a blast. I reread Cat's Cradle. I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, if you don't like Vonnegut, I reread oh, that. I read it. It's a great. It's a great book to read. I'm rereading The Essence of Christianity by Feuerbach. I don't advise you to read that. It's very dense. <laughs> but I read that in graduate school. I thought, that, I got to go back and look at that. And next week, I'm going to actually be talking about one of the books I reread, and that's called Battle for the Mind, on how religions use brainwashing techniques to infect people and why this virus is such an opportunity for reinfection of religious ideas in people. So, got it. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Ray. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on and, and being our guest this uh, this week. And uh, um, we'll be doing this again next week. And, and, and again, you'll be the guest and Todd and I will co-host. Uh, and you'll be talking about the psychology of religion during the crises. Um, so uh, once again, thank you for, for being here. Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, Healing, and Support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering from Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering from Religion website. It's also a big help 
subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.